0: All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's open to Genesis chapter 23, Genesis 23. Um, It's an odd smattering of verses this morning. I'm I'm sorry, ahead of time. I would have put both chapters in, but it wouldn't have fit in the bulletins, so I just went with a couple uh, select passages. So it makes for a a clunky address uh, this morning, but wanted to cover both Sarah's funeral and burial and uh, Abraham's funeral and burial this morning, so we're looking at chapter 23 uh, and chapter 25, just a, a few verses uh, from each of those chapters. So uh, with that in mind, let's stand for the reading of God's Word together. I'm going to begin in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns." It is at the end of of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as a property for a burying place by the Hittites. Chapter 25, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Bir Lahai Roy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, one of my favorite comedians is uh, a guy named Jim Gaffigan. Uh, maybe you've seen a couple of his specials on Netflix. For a stand-up guy, a stand-up comedian, he, he's he's fairly family-friendly. And I also follow him on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, he had uh, a tweet a number of years ago that I saved and took a picture of. Uh, it was one of those tweets that just hit me just right at the right moment, you know, It wasn't just LOL, like you were literally laughing out loud. It was great. And I'll show you the picture first. He's in a hotel, and he's traveling. He's doing one of his stand-up shows, and he orders, you know, for breakfast, uh, you know, a fruit bowl, like a fruit salad, you know, because he's trying to mind his weight like a good middle-aged man, right? And he takes a picture of the fruit bowl, okay, so you can see it. Uh, there's a pretty dominant color in the fruit bowl, it's green. And this is all it says uh, above this picture. It says, melon, comma, the packing peanuts of the fruit bowl. <laughs> you get it? Honeydew melon, they're the packing peanuts of the fruit bowl. In other words, you know, we all love the blueberries, we love the strawberries, right? Even cantaloupe we're, we're favorable towards, but, but, but honeydew, right, that's, th- that's the question mark. Uh, And this uh, salad was just saturated with it, so he calls them the packing peanuts of the fruit bowl. Um, Why I talk about that this morning. When you read the Scriptures, and if you've ever been like a part of a reading plan, have you ever gotten to a part where a passage or a chapter feels arbitrary? It feels like how, how, does, how is this the demonstration or the words of good news? This passage feels like packing peanuts. It feels arbitrary. It just feels like fluff and filler. Um, if you've ever read the story of Sarah's burial or the story of Abraham's burial, you might think um, that this is one of those passages. This is just filler. This is kind of getting us you know, now into the life of Isaac and Jacob. So, this is just kind of like a transition filler passage. But what I want to suggest this morning is by appearances it might look like a honeydew, but as we study it and we look at it, it's rich. It's more like a strawberry, sweet. Uh, It's really good. Uh, I want to look at three things uh, this morning, three points. The sowing of Sarah, that's an old church term for burial, uh, to sow someone, like you would sow a seed. The, The burial of Sarah Abraham's exodus, his leaving, and then lastly, the already and the not yet. So sowing of Sarah, Abraham's exodus, and the already and the not yet. Uh, well, first, uh, the sowing of Sarah. What does her burial uh, tell us? But let's look at her first. I don't think we've said this up until this point. Uh, the name Sarah means princess, it's a royal, it's a royal name, but get this. This is the first burial in the Scriptures, we're we're 23 chapters in, this is the first time Moses the narrator has stopped and described with some level of detail a burial. Um, And this is the first time it's one of Abraham's descendants who is buried, it's his wife. And you might be saying, wait a minute, what about Lot's wife? Uh, Well, she wasn't buried, was she? Remember what happened to her? She turned to a a pillar of salt. She vaporized. Uh, She wasn't buried. Uh, But Sarah is. Not only that, it's the only lifespan, you know, with numbers and data uh, that's recorded in the Scriptures uh, for a woman. And it happens in the first 23 chapters of the entire Bible. And even Peter, in his letter to the church in the New Testament, when he was referring to uh, his people that he was writing to, his audience, do you remember what he called them? He said, you are all sons and daughters. You are all descendants of Sarah. didn't say Abraham. He said, Sarah, you're all descendants of Sarah. Now, now we know as we've gone through this story, I mean, is, is Sarah's record impeccable? No. Is Abraham's? No. But sometimes we have this assumption, um, or other people might accuse us, you know, within the church of having this presumption that the church is is very patriarchal. It's exclusively patriarchal. Uh, we only talk about men. There's no, There's no talk about women. And some might even go so far as to say Christianity is very misogynistic. It's very anti-woman. And this could not be further from the truth. Um, God, through Moses, is honoring um, this saint. Um, Her mark in the church speaks very, very highly of, of Sarah, and the rest of Scripture does too. Uh, If you read through the Gospel of Luke, Luke goes to careful detail to highlight the role of women. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth and Mary Magdalene uh, and his Gospel in particular. Uh, Hannah in the Old Testament is spoken of very favorably. Sarah is the matriarch. If Abraham is the patriarch, she's the matriarch of the church. Uh, And she has a very special place in it. That's who she is, and that's kind of what's happening uh, to her. But it's not just who she is that's important. It's, uh, it's where she's buried that's also uh, important for us. Uh, look at, at verse end of verse 3. It says, And Abraham rose up, and this is chapter 23, And Abraham rose up from before his dead, and he said to the Hittites, Remember where we are in the, in the life of Abraham. Uh, he has left Ur, but he has not come to the land that God has promised. But where they are in this story is they're in a particular part of of Canaan where the Hittites dwell and where they live. And here's what's significant about uh, these people. Uh, In chapter 10, we're told that the Hittites are kind of like um, a a part of this land, a part of of Canaan's land, this this property, Uh, and they are the descendants of the son of Heth, who is one of the Uh, Canaan's sons, right? So this is uh, their tribe, their people, uh, their area. What we learn later on in the book of Deuteronomy uh, is that uh, God's people are to go in and wipe out the Hittites. Uh, And then in chapter 20, I believe, in Deuteronomy, they actually go in and destroy them, and God says, uh, you know, in, in very, very explicit and violent language, Um, Don't just wipe them out. He uses, like, temple language for sacrifice, like, turn them into a burnt offering. It's like a crude translation, like, here's what I want you to do with the Hittites. Um, That's where they are. That's the people that Abraham is negotiating with uh, over this land. Uh, Not a good people. Um, So what's the significance of this land to Sarah and to Abraham? think about this. Think about the timeline here. God gave these promises to Abraham, and I put it in your reflection, right? Genesis chapter 12, that's where God says to Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm taking you out of this pagan country, your, your pagan fathers, your moon-worshiping culture, and I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make your name great. We don't know anybody else from Ur, right? Right? But these Hittites know who Abraham is. They know who this wanderer is, this pilgrim. They know, they know him, Oh Lord, O oh great prince. They know who he is. Uh, he's got a great name. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a descendant, right? And at this point in chapter 23, he's, he's already been given Isaac. He's been given a son through Sarah, not through one of his concubines, he's been given the son that was promised. But God, God also says, I'm going to make you into a great nation which means you're going to need people and land. If you're going to be a nation, you need a land. Um, So, notice what's happening here. The promise is being fulfilled for the child. He's already got Isaac. He's already got this name and this reputation that's growing. We're transitioning from the seed that was promised now to the promise of land. And I don't. I would have assumed this if you would have asked me this a number of years ago. What's the first piece of promised land that God's people occupy? You might say, and if you know your Old Testament, you might say, oh, it's Joshua. It's Jericho, right? That's the first city they go into, and they march around it seven times. Everything crumbles uh, except um, Rahab's, you know, tower. That's kind of like the first acre plot piece of land. Um, that becomes, you know, part of the promised land. And if you thought that, you'd be wrong. It's actually here in Genesis 23. Do you see it? This is the land of Canaan. It's a cave. It's small. It's at the end of the field. But this is almost like the down payment of what is to come on behalf of of God's people. And what's interesting here is, is that this land... this this down payment of this promise is secured through death, the death of a matriarch, through the death of Sarah. So, in a way, her death and her burial is, uh, is a small way pointing us to the death of Jesus. Her death provides the down payment of what would be the promised land, And in the same way, we look at the death, the burial, Jesus being in the tomb for the church. What is that? If nothing more than the down payment, the security, the offering of God to us, the securing of it in Christ, of the promises, of the possession, that will be ours. But it came through death. It came through a tomb. It came through a grave, uh, just like Sarah's. That's the sowing of Sarah. Well, what about uh, Abraham? Jumping into uh, chapter 25. Uh, What are some things here that we see Abraham doing just before he dies? Um, We need to talk about them. They're important. Um, Sarah has passed. And so 25 says in verse 1 that Abraham takes another wife. And it was one of his concubines named uh, Keturah. And, you know, having multiple wives was never... um, positively commended by God in the Scriptures. Uh, it was never seen as a good thing. If you were going to be the king of Israel in Deuteronomy 17, you're to be the husband of one wife. Don't take many wives uh, for yourself, right? And that was kind of what led to David and, and some of Solomon's uh, downfall. It's Never looked upon to have uh, multiple wives. All, all, why am I saying that? It's because even, even in our death, we're sinful, even in our twilight, even in our dying, uh, we struggle with sin, so does Abraham. Uh, but notice what he does uh, with all of his, his sons and his grandchildren in verses 5 and 6. Actually, let's look at verse 6 first, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. So he gave them things, right? We don't know exactly what they are, but he gave them to the sons of his concubines, and then he sent them away. Now why would he do that? And why would he do that at the same time that he looks and he turns to Isaac, and he gives Isaac everything, everything? Uh, In the past, he's not known for doing this, um, but this this is an incredible act of faith on behalf of Abraham. He's going all in with the son of promise. This is the son in whom God is going to bless all of the nations. He's going to make a great nation out of. Um, Abraham is getting out of the way. He, he, He can't control anything anymore. Again, he's done this before he has died. This is not afterwards. This is not a part of a will. This is before he died. He's saying, I'm taking my hands off of this money, and I'm giving it all to Isaac. Incredible act of faith. Can you see that? Sends the other ones away to protect Isaac's inheritance because brothers have a way of quarreling over what they think is theirs, and he gives everything to his son. But like Sarah's, uh, what do we learn about Abraham's death? Um, Nowhere in Scripture is is someone spoken of as favorably, as good as Abraham is in this passage. When you read about the deaths of other patriarchs, other major figures in Scripture, no one is, is spoken of as well as Abraham. Did you hear it? Abraham breathed his last, this is verse 8, and died in a good old age, which was, you know, a sign of God's favor. If you were to die early, um, Jewish culture called that evil. Um, They felt like that was an evil, but he lived to a good old age, comma, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people, was gathered to his people. Now, at the end of verse 8, that last little phrase hear this. You know, that's not just Moses being poetic. Um, Who were uh, Abraham's father and grandfathers? Who who were they religiously? Um, They were pagans, moon worshipers. Those were his fathers and their fathers. So so why is is, is God saying, um, you're going to be gathered uh, to your descendants? Why are you going to be gathered to your people? Who is he talking about? He's talking about Noah. He's talking about Enoch. He's talking about this new spiritual family that we have because of this gospel in Christ. Literally, his biological father, no. Maybe not. We don't know, but who's he talking about? He's talking about this new family, this new people, the people of God whom Abraham is now a part of. Again, no one's story ends as good as Abraham's. Well, what does this have to do with you and with me? Uh, how, does this, how does this become a strawberry instead of a honeydew melon? And we've talked about this principle before. It's been a long time, but I want to put it back in, in front of you because um, it, it feels like life right now. Um, we've talked about the already and the not yet. That's like a pair of lenses that we look at life through. We live in the already and the not yet. Think of it in terms of, of the Second World War. Remember, on one hand, I'm going to do this backwards so it's, it's right side up for you. Uh, remember when World War II started for us, we called that what? We called it D-Day, Right? And the war went on for a number of years until the surrender of Nazi Germany, which we called V-Day, right? So the war started here, but ended here. What we're saying as believers in this age, in this stage of life that we're in, we live between those two markers. We live between D-Day and V-Day. We're starting to see some victories. We're starting to see some wins, but we're also seeing some incredible losses. Um, we're losing some battles. The war's already won, but we're losing some battles, right? It's the both and. We already see victory, but victory's not yet here, all right? So, where do we see the already uh, in, in, in this passage? with Abraham. Uh, Where did Abraham already see the promises of God fulfilled? We already talked about it. He's already got the great name. He's already got the Son. And with this this promised land, we've already got that down payment, that first parcel, that first acre that is going to be God's uh, promised land. How are we like Abraham? What are the already's that you and I like Abraham are experiencing, are enjoying. What are the good things? Again, we prayed this morning in adoration. We're going to count our blessings. We've got 10,000 reasons to be thankful to God before you. What are are our alreadys? Uh, Listen to what Paul says uh, in Galatians 3, verse 16. You don't have to turn there. You can write it in your notes. This is a very important passage. Listen to this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. So this is Paul talking about Abraham a long time ago. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many. It said, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Abraham got Isaac, this son that he went all in with, who he gave everything to, bestowed everything he had upon his shoulders. And what Paul here is saying is, is that the true offspring of the church is not Isaac, it is Jesus, who Paul would later say in the book of Colossians is the heir of all things. All things were made through him, and all things were made for him. By him, all things were made, and for him, all things were made. Every molecule, every atom, Jesus says, mine, without exception. It's His. So what? Paul uses this preposition almost 150 times in his letters. You, believer, if you have rested in the work of Christ on your behalf, you are in Christ. You are in Him. You are one. You are united to Christ. You are so united uh, to Christ that he sees himself uh, bound to you. Like, remember Stephen? When Paul stoned Stephen, uh, Jesus asked Paul, Why are you persecuting me? Why did he say me? It's because he and Stephen were one. Friends, you have an inheritance if you are in Christ Jesus. And it's not partial. It's not a consolation. What Jesus says joyfully, with a smile on His face, with tears in His eyes, is that everything that is mine is yours, and I want you to enjoy it, and you're going to enjoy it forever. What is your possession, O follower of Christ? What isn't your possession? And Now, if that's true, If that is our already, if that is our possession, our names are written at the bottom of that will with Jesus in Christ, what should that mean for us? That should mean we should be some of the calmest people right now, especially where we are, especially with our resources, especially with our things. We should be some of the calmest unhurried, most generous people. Why? Because we have a father who gave everything to his son, and that son said, guess what? As goes me, so goes the church. If I get it, you get it. If I die, you die. If I'm raised, you're raised. If I'm given all things, you get all things. This life, it's the vapor. It's temporary. This one's short. This one we're going to forget. This one is going to fade into our, into our long-term memory. We're going to lose it out of our short-term memory. We're not going to remember it very well because eternity is coming. And it's not going to be like this. It's going to be Canaan as it should be. It's going to be perfect. That's our already but let's be realistic. There's also the not yet. We live in the already and the not yet. Think about the promises that Abraham did not see in his lifetime. You know, he got that down payment. He got to see on the front end just that one parcel of land. He got to see just a, a portion of it. He didn't get to see it all, but he didn't get to see the nation that Israel would become. Now, and we know this from historians, but there was little over 600,000 Israelites that fled Egypt after the plagues and with Moses leading the way. Just a little over 600,000 Israelites left Egypt. Imagine if you're Abraham and you got to witness that. I'm sure he'd be like, okay, you said nation, but I never would have guessed. Okay, that's. think about this. That's 24 Salinas take the population. How many times would you have to multiply the population of this city to match what Israel was when they left Egypt, when they left Pharaoh's land? Okay? That's 24 Salinas. That's a little over half of Collin County. That's how many people were leaving Egypt, going into Canaan. He never got to see that. That was the not yet. He never got to see uh, that portion. And, and notice this, too. This is part of it. Notice how Abraham introduces himself, you know, when he starts to kind of negotiate with the Hittites. Remember what he said in verse 4? Look back. He said, "'I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you.'" Now, was he lying? What he knew was that the land that he was walking on was going to be his and his people's one day. He didn't know how the Lord was going to do it, but he came in humble he came in low. And how did they respond? Oh, my Lord, you know, the prince among gods, uh, the God among us, you know, they're the ones who speak highly and and lofty of Him, but He's a sojourner. He's a pilgrim. He had to struggle with things that that all of us in this room will likely never have to struggle with. Um, He lost his wife uh, as a pilgrim. Uh, He lost his wife when he wasn't home, which means what? if you're you're traveling and if you're this caravan and if you're moving through this country that you do not know and that is wild and foreign to you and your wife dies, not only really are you mourning the loss of her, which he did, where do you bury someone in a situation like this he, he's, he's struggling with with things we, we don't have to worry about. He's a pilgrim, he's a traveler he doesn't have that home base yet he doesn't have that land and you know that feeling when you move it's that first like three months when you're in a new place this It's home, but it's not home. Um, This is where my address is. This is where my mail comes. This is where I pay property taxes. But does it feel like home yet? It's not home. He's a pilgrim. He doesn't have that land, those hills, those mountains that he knows. It's not a safe place uh, for him yet. That's why it is no coincidence that when we get to the New Testament, that Paul and other New Testament writers depict believers, followers of Jesus, as sojourners, as people of exile. He says, you're just like Abraham. And and here's here's what that means. Listen to what Peter says in in chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of uh, the flesh. Why would Peter call us this theologically? Why would he, he say that? Abraham's uh, land, the promised land for him was Canaan. What's the promised land for followers of Christ in this new era, in this age in which we live? It's the new heavens and the new earth. That is our home. All the writers of the New Testament say that is where your citizenship lies. You can't be dual citizens just like you can't be dual citizens here. That is where your true family, that is where your true home is. Therefore, what we are experiencing now, what we're going through now, is not home. You're a pilgrim. You're wandering. When you look at upcoming elections, do you look at at all of the candidates and you go, like, I feel like I'm not represented by any one of them? You know why you feel that way? It's because you're a pilgrim. It's because you're a wanderer. You're a sojourner in exile. You don't belong here. And some people don't represent you because the only person that represents you is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your captain. He is your king. Don't have a party? because you're in exile. And Abraham knew this. He felt it. It's why he wept. It's why he mourned. It's why we spent a portion of the service this morning lamenting. It's because we're living in the not yet. We've got these promises, just like Abraham had, and we've got these little down payments. We've been given the Holy Spirit as that guarantee of this inheritance but has it come fully yet? No, but we've got things to hang our hat on. We've got things to white knuckle. But don't forget this. You're in exile. This is not home. It's always going to feel funny as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Abraham was 137 years old when Sarah died. This meant he went another 38 years without his wife, without Sarah. For some of us, that's that's like that's a great like marriage benchmark to get to is thirty-eight years. He went thirty-eight years without her after her death. Question I want you to think about this week, just in, in further application, is all of us do this and it takes some introspection. Ask the Holy Spirit to show it to you. Man, he's faithful with these prayers when you ask him for these things. What are those coping mechanisms? What are those things we employ? when we start to struggle with living in the not yet, when we, maybe we haven't been able to put words to it yet, but we're starting to feel that. I don't belong here. Why don't I belong here? God hasn't forgotten you. What he's just showing is you, you use that your citizen, citizenship belongs somewhere else. It's not here. It's in the life that's to come. But, but, is, but what are you using to cope What are you using to get through? Sometimes those things are good things, if it's lament, if it's prayer, if it's sorrow. But you might find some ugly things there that might be worth repenting of and confessing before God. Let's be good exiles together as followers of Christ. Why? Um, Because we inherit all things. Christ is giving it all To us, and we get to enjoy it together with Abraham, with Isaac, with Sarah, with Jacob, with Leah, with all of God's people. We will go to our fathers and to our father's fathers. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us. Uh, We don't want to look like the world. Uh, We want to help uh, the world. So help us to see ourselves. Would you crack open our hearts? Would you let the light in? Would it expose our darkness? Would you show us those things that we're using uh, to cope, to comfort ourselves? because we feel lost, we feel alienated, we feel like a people without a country, we act like a people without a king, but now we know that's not true. Help us to put those things aside that more fully and more truly. And in our heart of hearts, we might look like true followers of Christ, full of faith, full of belief, and full of hope. And we pray this all in the matchless name of Christ, who is our King. Amen.